Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. You are glorious, wonderful. You are mighty and powerful, holy, just, good. Lord, we praise you for your kindness, your everlasting grace and mercy. There's so many ways that you show your mercy to us, and yet there's so many times we miss just those little gleams of the sunshine of your mercy. And yet we want to stop for a moment and give thanks and praise and honor and glory unto you. And we do so through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Your righteous Son who came to this very earth and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, who is raised on the third day. Glory and honor be unto you, the one living God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask your mercies upon us today. There are some who are still sick or have gotten sick over this past week, battling different illnesses. We pray for the rites as they are battling illness right now. We ask for your mercy for Rick and Stephanie. There are others, Lord, who you have brought through illness and we're thankful to hear of that news. We ask for your continued protection over us, even in days ahead as we meet with our families and spend time together. Some will be traveling. Some are traveling uh, as of this weekend. We ask your mercies upon each of those who are traveling, Lord, according to your will. Lord, bring them back to us safely so that we will meet again and worship you and glory in you alone. We pray for the Barr family. We ask your mercies upon them this morning. Lord, you know they are still in a state of shock at the dark providence that has taken place in their life. We ask that you would give comfort to them. Lord, for those in the immediate Bar family and, and those who are distant family, we ask that you would use this frowning providence to deal with their souls where necessary. And yet we ask for real genuine comfort brought to them 
Please help them, Lord, through these days. There are many troubles in this life, but there is the greatest peace of all that has been given through your Son. May we get a true glimpse of him this morning in your word that our souls would be comforted in the glories of your Son, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 2, as we deal with a few of these passages this morning, we're being reminded of, uh, firstly this morning, that sin and death are bondage. Sin and death are bondage. There's a reason that the Lord Jesus uh, had to uh, partake of flesh and blood. And he had to share in that in this way because sin and death are bondage. That bondage is a very uh, serious bondage, so much so uh, that its bondage has to be broken in an eternal way. The bondage can't be just simply lifted for a moment and it do anyone any good, but it has to be broken in an eternal way. And so this sin and this death being bondage also helps us to see the context of it in the wrath of God. I, I want you to note here that um, the devil is under the very wrath of God for eternity. The devil himself as a being is under the wrath of God for eternity. Um, he has a power in the context of sin, and in that power it is a context of death. And he is under the wrath of God for bringing about the lies into the garden that he did and those lies which he perpetuated in his own being that caused him to be cast out from God himself. The devil himself is in the bondage of his own sin, and he is in that bondage for eternity, which means the wrath of God would be poured out on him eternally. And yet he continues to try to work in a way that he thinks he is gaining more power. And the scripture here is saying very clearly that sin and death are bondage and that bondage has to be broken, but it has to be broken in its very core. That through death, speaking of Jesus, Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil. The work of Jesus coming to the earth and partaking of flesh and blood is a work not just to deal with sin on a surface level, but it's to deal with sin at its core. Not only to deal with sin in the core of those who are, uh, who are believing or those who are being saved, but to deal with it at its very core and going all the way to defeating the devil himself. There are many that would make fun of statements like that because they would say, you know, this, this devil is a figment. He's a mythological person or creature. Uh, but the scripture speaks very plainly about him as being a real being. 
He, he doesn't have horns and a pitchfork and all of that um, stuff. Um, those are just imageries that people have put forward over years to try to give some uh, picture that we could see of, of how evil he might be. Uh, some picture him with scales and as though he's some kind of serpent-like creature himself. But the scripture doesn't speak of him that way. He is an actual being and he is the embodiment of what uh, sin represents and that's why the Lord Jesus has to defeat him. And to defeat him, sin will be defeated. But it also gives us a sense in verse 15 of the opposite of this bondage and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. This is the context of there being a freedom versus bondage. And the scripture bounces this back and forth in various places. Uh, the Hebrews writer is not the only one to bring up this idea. Um, turn, turn to Romans Galatians has the idea of bondage in it when dealing with sin. Romans has this idea of bondage. And Romans has the idea of the bondage and the wrath. Uh, we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it's a verse many of you know well. But it's good just to look at it just for a second. Paul writes here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now here Paul is not just blaming the devil. There's a recognition of who the devil is and what has to be dealt with. But yet Paul is recognizing here that due to the deceit of the devil that Adam and Eve made their own choice of their own volition, of their own will, their own being. They chose to go against God's command. And when they did, they chose death. That's what they chose. Because that was the command. If you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. So in choosing sin, they chose death. But in choosing sin, they also chose the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, against. Now I want you to think about that from the context of the very being of God. All of His might, all of His power, all of His holiness. The very being of God and all of who He is being against something. Take, take a second let that think in now. We like to talk about power, push, force. Thrust. Those of you who are sports fans, when you see a football team that can just bash through another team and run the ball wherever they want to, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you ladies, but us, us men, we like that kind of power. I, there, there's time, you ever, you ever watch, just sit and watch a big machine work? Yeah. Yeah, ladies, you don't, I heard some men, mm -hmm, yeah. I mean, 
I stopped one day. It's been years ago. They were clearing a big piece of property, and they had those huge dump trucks and the huge bulldozers and the huge front end load. I mean, the ones that got the tires that are taller than I am, you know? And you just watch them go right through that red clay like it was just sand. Hard red clay. You know, you stuck a shovel in that stuff. You know what it's like. And those machines just forcefully push right against it and just push it up like it's sand. Just go right through it. They are against it. They are pushing against it. And they are winning. This is, this is what God is doing. God is against unrighteousness. He's forcefully, willfully against it. And he will pour out his wrath on it. And he will win. See? And here Paul is giving us this great warning. He's saying, look, this is what bondage really is. The bondage here is not so much that Satan has you in bondage. That's part of it and that's how awful it is. But the other part of that is, is that you have to understand that God is against this sinfulness. He's against this unrighteousness. And he will put his being forcefully behind being against it and he will win. So he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's there, whether you and I understand it or not. But Paul's saying it's being revealed from heaven, and it's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, the Hebrews writer says Jesus is going to go to the core of this, and he's going to defeat the devil. And that's That's amazing. But we also have to understand that this, this is kind of hard. Our culture doesn't want to think this way. And I want some of our young people to hear this especially. Adults, you, you need to hear it too. But I want some of our young people to understand this. You need to stop looking at the world as though the world is neutral. See, that's a lie of the devil, that's a lie of the sinful nature and remaining sinful flesh. We tend to look at the world as though it, it's, it's neutral. Every human who is not in Christ is not neutral. Whether they understand it or not, they are working in accordance with the father of lies who is the devil. And they are doing that which is of their sinful nature, of their natural inclination, and that is to be about themselves instead of God, to bring glory to themselves rather than God, and therefore they are against God, and God is against them. And ultimately, he will suppress that unrighteousness or, excuse me, he will win against it even though humanity wants to try to suppress the truth. We can't see the world as neutral. I'm talking about human beings when I'm, I'm thinking about the world here, okay? All right, there, there are things in the world that are neutral. 
in a sense. I mean, trees tend to be, they're neutral, all right? Um, although, you know, I've fought with a few briars and wondered if they were actually after me or not. Um, privet hedge can tend to get a hold of your life at times. But humans are not neutral. And the scripture is speaking about our sin. We're, we're not neutral left to ourselves in our sinfulness. This is why the, the, the opening of this letter to the Romans shows this gradual move of human culture and society. The longer human society doesn't recognize where it's going, that it is being driven by sin nature, which was encouraged by the father of lies himself, the devil, the longer that culture and society doesn't recognize that for what it is, the further it goes into unrighteousness and it devolves. And that has happened to multiple cultures over history and time. They devolve. And this is the, why you see the, the literally literal turnover in culture that we've seen in such a fast period of time in the last 10 years. Things have happened in the last 10 years that some people in the room, including myself, I, I didn't think would happen in my lifetime. I thought my kids later in life or their, their kids later in life would deal with these things. But boom, our culture just, it's like overnight things just started going. Well, th that's the influence of the devil. And that's because when Adam and Eve chose sin, they chose death. Death is always devolving. Death is about decay, right? You see a dead animal on the side of the road and it's near your house and you pass it over a period of weeks and nobody moves it, it's in a period of decay. The longer it lays there, the more it stinks. The more some other animals have ravaged its body. This is... This is the reality of what sin is doing to the souls of individuals. It's decaying them. It's devolving them to where they are desensitized to so many different things that when that's happening on a mass level, a culture begins to devolve. Paul doesn't just leave it to certain cultures and certain places at certain times. He develops a whole theology of the Jews and the Gentiles and that sin has infected every single people group even to get to the point that he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no person that can stand and say, oh, hadn't affected me. There can be times that we could say that about some diseases, right? Oh, I, I didn't get that. I'm so thankful. Well, none of us can stand and say, well, I didn't get that sin disease. No. Every one of us has it. In Romans 5... 
Paul develops for us the thinking of the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam ushered in sin and ushered in death. And it says, as sin reigned in death. You don't know the marker. I mean, the one marker for sin is death. That's the one marker for sin. Everybody's out there looking for a way to define sin and they... People going to define it one way and, oh, no, no, sin's not that. I mean, you've got your, that's your cultural view of sin or that's your religious view of sin or, no. The Bible just puts it at its base level ultimately and says there's one marker for sin and it's death. And if we didn't have sin, we wouldn't have death. Who all is going to die? few people, three or four, a few million, how many? All. Everybody wants to use that word all. Here's a good time to use it. All will die. No one will escape it. Except. Those who only go through the valley of the shadow of death. How's that possible? Well, go back to Hebrews. You see, the idea of freedom here is wrapped up in who the person of Christ is and what he did on this earth. He didn't just come for a momentary help. Jesus is not just a momentary encourager. Now, it's nice to have somebody that gives you a phone call, right, and encourages you. I've had people do that the past few weeks and months, and I get, I've gotten some, some texts from some of you all, and uh, I see those texts or those emails. I'm so thankful. I need it, Okay. But I'm also thankful that my Lord and Savior is not a momentary encourager. He's dealing with the very depth of my despair. You and I need to recognize every depression, every anxiety, every moment of despair we have is ultimately due to sin. I'm not saying all of it's immediately, but ultimately it's due to sin. There would be no despair. There would be no anxiety. If Adam and Eve had not eaten of that fruit, there would be nothing to be anxious about. We'd be walking with the Lord, the very creator of the heavens and the earth. There'd be nothing to be anxious about. There'd be no despair, no difficulty of, of, of thought, nothing that would tug at us and, and make us think, oh no, what next?
Don't you realize how in bondage to sin you really are? That you very rarely go through a day without worry? And even if we think we got through the day without worry, it's probably we forgot that we worried about something. Is it locked? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we, we not only think about that moment of what we just did. friend called me, and I was talking to him, and he said, oh, don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. Well, why? Because I'm already thinking about what could happen. All the possibilities of what could and might happen tomorrow. I start thinking too far ahead and... It's one thing to be thoughtful and plan, but I still leave things up to the sovereignty of God in my planning. Planning, moving to worrying and anxiety as if I'm in control of all things, that's where that that switch is flipped and it goes to sin. Yeah. So we need somebody that can come deal with the very core issue and get to the depth of it. And the Hebrews writer says, well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Because... He's going to come and get to the core issue and defeat the devil and he's going to bring freedom to those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. What slavery? The slavery to sin. The slavery of sin. And then verse 16 he says, For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Here's a covenantal statement. Here's something very important. The fallen angels will not be redeemed. He's, he's, this was not the point of the covenant. When those angels followed the devil, those fallen angels will not be redeemed. The point of the covenant is to save people, humans, and he makes this clear, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Now, if you go back and look at Romans 4 and 5, and I, I debated on how to work through that this week, and I thought I could spend forever in Romans 4 and 5. I'm not doing a study on Romans. I'm doing a study on Hebrews. Um, but go back and read Romans 4 and 5 and see the argument. He's drawing us back. He's already said... Jews and Gentiles all alike are under the penalty of death because of sin. No Jew, no Gentile can be out of or out from underneath the bondage to sin. All are sinners. So he starts developing a thought about the covenant being revealed. 
The covenant was first revealed in Genesis chapter 3, and yet in and of itself was not given further explanation really until we get to the time of Abraham. And in the opening of Abraham, there's this promise that through Abraham, his seed, all the peoples of the earth will be what? Blessed. Now he's talking about all the tribes and tongues. Think about revelation and the promise of all the tribes and the tongues. It's not saying every single individual is going to be saved. Because if that were true, that would already be a lie because we, we see the kind of evil that's on this earth and people who just go to their grave. Go read Christopher Hitchens' last statement before he died. He, he was a, an anti-theist debater. And he said, Do not believe if anyone comes to tell you that I believed in God before I died on my deathbed. I will not do it. I will never do it. There is no God. There's at least one, apparently. I'm not proud to say that. I'm not happy about that. I'm just speaking the truth in that. There's at least one who said, Nope, I will not bow the knee to God because he does not exist. Well, apparently Christ didn't save him. Satisfaction was not made for him. So it can't be about every single individual. No, the descendants of Abraham are those who believe, who have faith in God's promise to save them according to His way through His work. And the Hebrews writer is bringing all of that forward to say that work that was promised to Abraham that his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, that promise that all the peoples of, of the earth will be blessed through him, that comes through the line of David, and it is Jesus himself. This is about saving humans. Jesus is going to save angels. He would have been made like the angels, but he was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. And he came to this earth and he took on human flesh or he assumed human flesh because in verse 17 it says, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. He had a human body. He had blood flowing through his human body. He had a brain. He had organs like we have. He had toes. He lived in a day and age where he had to wash his feet because, you know, they didn't have shoes like we do. And he, Jesus probably had stinky feet sometimes. I'm not, uh, let's just be real here. He was dealing with a body just like ours. He had to wash and take a bath. He had to clean himself up. He sweated walking around in, in, in the, the time that he was here on this earth. He came down here. He was made like us in all things. He was tempted in that which he suffered so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. 
Now, I want you to think about how awful sin is that God has to send his own son down here. All the things we as humans can build. You go see that some of these major cities and these skyscrapers are amazing. You know, we're coming home from Birmingham sometimes, coming over the hill on I-20. You look at that city of Atlanta and you go, wow. It's amazing, those buildings just... How in the world? All the technology and medicine, all the things that have happened, the, the, the absolute abilities we've been given. We have now weapons of war that fly themselves. Missiles that have guiding systems in them that once you program something in, it flies hundreds of miles away and hits a, a target as big as a dime. All of that ability. And when God determines that time is up, we cannot save ourselves. He had to send his son to be a merciful and faithful high priest. We have continued for some time to look at the angles of sin and temptation in these weeks. We wanted to see sin from all of its angles and to notice its depth. And upon considering that, we come to a place here to recognize that Jesus had to be sent to this very earth. Because there's no one else who could defeat the devil himself. When Scott preaches and talks about the incarnation this morning, Emmanuel, God with us, listen carefully as he's talking to us about the importance of Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary. What it means that he was among us. He had to walk in all those ways so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. The purpose of the high priest was one who would go into the Holy of Holies and he would go there on behalf of the people. Um, if you spend some time in, in Exodus and Leviticus and you read about uh, the work of the high priest, they, all of the detail that went into the temple, there's a, God had a, a set way that the temple had to be built and, and put together. Everything from the materials themselves to the dimensions to how everything was supposed to be uh, you know, put into place, all of the temple ornamentation all of the temple services in and of themselves, God was showing, this is how serious this is. This is how precise this has to be. That there has to be something very precise to be done to save a people. When you Don't, don't, don't get caught up in just the, 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 the reading of, of the temple being put together and, and thinking about... Um, trying to figure out all its dimensions and all the, the, the building and all of that. Think about what God is doing here. He's showing a picture of how precise salvation 
has to be. It can't be willy-nilly. It can't be something that is uh, just put together by anybody. It's the difference between me building a rocket and NASA building one. Trust me, you do not want me building a rocket. Right? How many of you are rocket scientists? Raise your hand. I'm not either. Okay. You play one on TV? Yeah. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, Rocket scientist. You you don't want me building that rocket and and saying to a person, Pat, will you come get my rocket and let me shoot you to the moon? Hopefully Pat will look at me and say, no. Scott will go, I ain't going to that thing. Ain't no way. When you read Exodus and Leviticus, see the detail but recognize what God is saying. The worship of God and the salvation of my people cannot be just put together willy-nilly. It's precise and it has to be perfect. So when you see Christ representing the high priest here in the context of his human authority and his human mission and ministry, you're recognizing that he himself is very precisely the right and only gift and person who could come and be the high priest. All the other high priests, they were just simply there as a foreshadowing. They were a tool and a type so that the people could see this is how serious this is. All of the blood that had to be shed all of the time, time and time again, and that once a year sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, all of that preciseness that goes there, it goes to show, oh, Man can't just save himself. I can't just show up to the throne of God one day and go, hey, God, look at what I did. It'd be like a child showing up to NASA and going, look at my rocket. I'm sure those rocket scientists, some of them, not all of them, but they'd pat the little kid on the head. Oh, that's cute. But soon we show up before the throne of God one day and we're there for the judgment according to our sins. It won't be God going, oh, oh, you're so cute. See, we need something very precise. See all these angles of sin. See the angles of temptation that we've talked about. See the depth of that sin and how awful it is. Yeah, he was, he was not only faithful in, to see it through, but he was faithful in person to be able to see it through. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of, of, of this merciful and faithful high priest, well, I don't... That's a good place to end, Scott. 
You're beginning to see now, though, why these angles of sin and temptation, why you have to get all those angles in to look at the depth of your problem. And it puts you in a place to start to see the necessity of who Christ is, that he alone could be the, the high priest and he alone could make propitiation for our sins. We'll deal with that idea more of the merciful and faithful high priest uh, next time. Scott will be teaching next week. He's going to finish up Thomas Scott. And then following that, we'll come back to Hebrews. Um, and we're going to dive in more to the faithful high priest and making propitiation for the sins of the people. There's some interesting things there about that wording, make propitiation, that I want us to catch as well. Well, looking forward to worship this morning. It's going to be very glorious. I'm thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus. That your very Son, co-equal in essence, would come to this very earth and walk among men and women like us. We do not deserve your mercy and grace through your Son. And we come openly to say that to you. And yet we are in need of your mercy and grace more than ever. We praise you for your grace shown through your Son, the Lord Jesus, in his life and his death and burial and resurrection. And yet we come in this time to give you thanks. That you would send him to give thanks to you, Lord Jesus, that you came. To give thanks for the work of the Holy Spirit as he brings souls from death to life that they would see these truths and we would be brought out of our sinful backwardness to true rational thinking according to your word. Glory be to you alone, our one true living God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.